the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In God's plans, roles matter. So when a husband overtakes the role of his wife and a wife overtakes the role of the husband, you got problems in the home. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled Friends in the New Life. We brought you the first portion the last time we were together. We will complete that message now. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. At the end of today's message, I will have information on how you can attend the worship service. The worship service is also broadcast live at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's get underway with the conclusion to Friends in the New Life. Here's our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Imagine going out one day and someone comes up to you and your husband and they threaten to hit you and the husband says, I just can't do anything without my wife's permission. I'm not sure if I should protect her or not. How many of you ladies would like to be married to a guy like that? Throw him out. Throw the bum out, right? You want a man who will stand in the gap, who will suddenly stand for you, who will protect you, who would give his life for you if he had to, right? Well, he has to have headship to do that. If you defang your husband in the home from having headship, he can't do that for you. And that puts a heavy responsibility on the husband to not overplay his hand, to not use authority to run his wife into the ground. That's the wrong use of it. Headship to guard and protect, to love and save. That is the husband's role. God made Eve in the garden from his rib. Not because he was trying to make some point between head and foot. Not so. He made her from the rib to guard his emotions, his heart, because a rib is the strong stuff that guards the tender parts of the inner man. And so Eve was to be the guardian of his emotional level, the guardian of his heart. Some women are very surprised to find out that men are intrinsically insecure. Am I right, men? Men are intrinsically insecure. The research is so strong on this. And in a marriage relationship, you know what carries a man? A wife's assurance. The wife sets the tone of his own security in a home. And God knew this. So Eve was made from a rib to guard the tender part of the warrior guardian of the garden. Men who are protectors are vulnerable and godly wives who are wise guard their husband's love and affection. They watch those competitors out there and they make sure that the sense of worth is there in their husband. They guard their hearts like a rib. In God's plans, roles matter. So when a husband overtakes the role of his wife and a wife overtakes the role of the husband, you've got problems in the home. Verse 24, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject. And this is a hard one. I mean, I have a hard time reading this because I know it makes people mad. Look at verse 24. This is God's word, not me. As the church is subject to Christ, that means godly subjection, not dictator kind of thing. 
As the church is subject to Christ, so that wives be subject. Now, what's the next part that hurts? Oh, it hurts. What does it say? In everything to their husbands. I was once in a counseling session. A couple was breaking up. And the reason they were breaking up and they finally divorced is because the woman could not accept that truth that her husband was to be the leader in her home. I opened this verse. I read it to her. And I said, Sister, what does the word in everything mean to you? And she wouldn't verbalize it. She came from a very conservative background. In many ways, you'd think she was tack on. But she couldn't submit herself to the word of God to save her family. God means what he says in everything to their husbands. That means godly submission when your husband is not violating the word of God. When your husband is true and committed to Christian principle, you are to work with your husband. And a godly husband will not overplay his hand. He'll be collaborative with his wife. He'll work with his wife. He'll ask for input. They will interact together. But when the tough time comes, he will lead because it is his role to guard and protect his home. Husbands, love your wives. Verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now that's what gives him the high moral stature as a leader in the home. He is to love as Jesus loved. Christ, and then he goes on to say, who gave himself for her. Christ died for the church. A husband must be willing to die for his wife. And that's how the wife can know that her husband will not overplay his hand with headship in the home. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy without blemish. I think a godly husband should be interested in the development of his wife. She has educational needs. She has development needs. He should do his best to help his wife make it. My wife is a businesswoman. She's growing a business. I support her in her business because I want to see my wife's full potential realized because my role is to be the guardian protector of my home. Verse 28, even so husbands should love their wives. Now this is the tough one for guys. All right, guys. Here it is, as their own bodies. Now think of all the good things you do for yourself. Men like toys. Don't you like toys? Fast cars sometimes. Collectible things. But we should really put our wives before these things. We should invest in our lives. And our own bodies, as much as we care about ourselves, we should care just that much for our wife. And then he says, he who loves his wife loves himself. Now, this is not narcissism kind of self-love. This is a divine love at work based on a proper understanding of God's word. The man who guards the wife, she who guards his heart, if he guards her, he values himself because he values God's gift to him. That is his wife. In fact, Adam, when he first named Eve in the Garden of Eden, he named her Isha. Most people don't know that. They think of Eve. No. Adam named Eve Isha. He named the animals. Now he named his wife. The word Isha in Hebrew is the word for woman. Adam was called Ish, man. Isha is the feminine Hebrew of woman, Ish and Isha. He just said, she's more like me. She's, I'm man, she's Isha. He named her after him. But after sin, when there was a barrier between them, when God saw them bickering because of the forbidden fruit, God chose, and he saw him distance himself from his wife. I mean, God gave Eve to be his helper, and she gave him the fruit, and he got ruin out of it, and he was very bitter toward her. So to save that first marriage, what God did was God made a promise, not to Adam, but to Eve. 
And God promised Eve in Genesis 3.15 that he would send the seed at the seed of the woman to save the world and to give life. And Adam figured it out that if he doesn't love his wife, if he doesn't embrace his wife, if he doesn't end this bitterness business, he can't get the blessing and the promise because God funneled the blessing not through Adam but through Eve. And so Adam renames his wife in Genesis 3, Eve. And most people don't know what the name Eve means, but the name Eve is Hebrew. Chava, it means life. It was no longer Adam and his wife. It was Adam and his life. She became his life. And when men live for the good of their wives, you have a good man, and a good woman will recognize it and value it. Boy, I stepped on a lot of toes today, didn't I? Don't throw tomatoes at me here, okay? I'm just sharing with you what the Bible says. A good man will love his wife in good times and bad times, whether she is lovable or not, because he is her friend. Now, let's face it. We all live in a world where relationships have been ruined by sin. Many people come to church have fractured relationships and friendships. If you have a good friendship and if your marriage is going well, don't you gloat over somebody else who struggled. Is that fair? No. We are to be healing good, noble people around here where everyone is of value, no matter what their life journey has been. I come from a broken home. Praise God, I found a church that was not condemnatory for me and my family. So if God gives you the gift of a stable family, use it for the glory of God, not to make yourself look better than others. Verse 29, he says, For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Here it is, as Christ does the church. So what's the model for a godly husband? What Christ would do, that I must do. Verse 30, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I've noticed this with my son. He's engaged to be married in late March. And I text him, I'll call him, and I can't get him on the phone. Now, millennials like to text, am I right? And so does Generation Z. You like texting? So I'll call him. I'll leave a message, no reply. I'll text him, no reply. And I finally figured out what it was. He's spending all that time with his fiance. That's not a bad thing, is it? It's a good thing. And I'm having to adjust because my son has left his father and mother and he will form his own family on divine principles. Recently, we had a very wonderful interaction. I'm not going to go into the details of it, but I was affirmed by his commitment to do the right thing in this relationship and all the way through. And I'm just so proud of my son. And I'm proud of everyone here who follows God's word. He says, this is a mystery, it's a profound one. And I'm saying that it, being marriage, refers to Christ and the church. However, here is his bottom line statement. You can circle verse 33 in your Bible. However, let each one of you, here's the counsel, love his wife, what? What does it say? As himself, and let the wife see that she, what? Respects her husband. Let's focus on that. Here are the two core and most important needs for a man and a woman outlined in this practical God-given counsel. First, men, this is married men, you must love your wives as yourself because your wife's core need as a wife and a woman of God is to be cherished and loved. That's her core need. I'm sorry if you're into football games and everything else and you don't have any time to think about that. You need to think about that. We all need to grow in this. Secondly, 
Here's the other side. Wives, respect your husbands because his core need is your respect. You can discourage your wife by not being tender and loving to her. And you decimate your husband by cutting him down and showing disrespect. And I might add, especially in the presence of others. If you cut your husband down in the presence of someone else, you have wounded your husband at a level you can't imagine. Wives need to have, at times, public display that's appropriate of affection so that people can know and they can know that you cherish them in the presence of others as well. So there's a flip side to this. Paul says, out of respect for Christ, submit to one another's needs and do the right thing. When you start your journey with your children... You are their parents, and that is a role you can play only for a time. Children grow up, and children learn to think in time, and children become their own persons in time, and parents in time as well. And you grow old. This I am learning. I have gray hair I'm learning. I'm getting older. Oh, boy, I need therapy already, right? No. How many of you have had to struggle with the fact you're growing old? Okay, we have a couple of honest people sitting here. The rest of you that are not as honest, I don't blame you. I wouldn't necessarily tell the preacher that. But it's true. We go through life challenges and we struggle when we age. I find that I have a little paralysis in my right foot. I had to get a foot leveler. I used to run like a gazelle through the woods until I blew my back. I got a little older. So I started fly fishing instead of running 12 miles every other day. We age. And you can try all you like to stop it. It's happening. Get to love the looks of your wife the way she is as she moves through time because she should be beautiful for that time. My wife doesn't have to be a teenager. You get it, honey? She just put her thumb up. You don't have to be a teenager, honey. You're beautiful the way you are. She's as beautiful to me as the day she married me. And I'll tell you right now, she doesn't have to be perfect to be beautiful to me because life moves. It wiggles. You can gain weight and lose weight. Sometimes women say, well, you know, Gaining weight, my husband won't love me anymore. Uh, shame on that husband. He ought to love you because there's more to love. I'm serious. I remember one day my wife was curling her hair, and I was watching her curl her hair. She had this hot curling iron and put it right on the side of her face. Shh, big scar right down her face a number of years ago. She was fully convinced she would have that scar the rest of her life. I said, honey... It's going to heal. She wouldn't believe it at first. But I want you to know that if it never heals, that will be a beauty mark the rest of your life. Don't worry about it. Hard to convince her. But you see, to me it doesn't matter. Because my wife is beautiful for every stage of her life. I meant what I just told you. The Bible says you should not embitter your children. There are parents who always come down on their children and they are harsh and, and bending to them, thinking that this is a good thing. My wife is the best mother I've ever known. She had a little struggle in adolescence as our kids grew out of that role. But she's a fine mother. But, but I'm telling you that we all struggle with the transitions in life. A child needs a parent to be firm. My wife shined as a parent who would create boundaries. But not harsh and unbending and arbitrary. There must always be hugs and love in the mix but firm. In the early years, children need those boundaries. There's a lot of progressive gobbledygook out there that says you don't need to give children boundaries. The research is in that that's nonsense. There was a study done that demonstrates exactly how self-esteem occurs in a child. There were three different study groups. One group was parents who loved their children with no discipline. The other group was parents who didn't love their children with discipline. And the third group was those who were 
loving with discipline. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. And believe it or not, the self-esteem was the highest on those who loved with discipline. You can figure that out. But the second group was those who were unloving but had discipline. The self-esteem was higher than those who were loving with no discipline. In other words, if you're just going to be nice and loving your child with no boundaries, you are sabotaging your child's head to not love you, to not respect you, to be an awful mess in their lives. The Bible is tack on. Children are to respect their parents. There are to be boundaries in life. A child needs a parent to be firm and true, but not harsh and unbending. In the early years, children need boundaries. The Bible affirms this. Parents who do not provide boundaries harm their children for the future. Parents who do not discipline their children when they are young inculcate rebellion into their children for their future. But a wise parent will notice the stages in a child's life, and as they gradually grow, they will adapt their methods and not stick with the old ways. And they will look forward to that time when their children are adult friends. When my sons hit adolescence as teenagers, they challenged me on everything under the sun. Anybody have an adolescent child? Dad, why? You ever hear that? Why became the word when I got home. Why, Dad? As soon as I walked in. That's natural. Because adolescence is the time when you say, why? When you say, well, I have my own way of thinking. That's because they're learning to think their own way. And you can't go with the old heavy boundary business anymore. In adolescence, you've got to negotiate and talk things out. So I'd take them fishing so they could talk it out and yell at me. Dad, we're upset about this thing. Oh, tell me more. We go on drives together in the car, and I'd give them one hour to say whatever they would, and I would say nothing. And if I got defensive, Donald would say, Dad, you said you would say nothing, and I would let them get it out. And when they were younger, we wouldn't think of such a thing. But when they became teenagers, we had to adjust to that reality. And that was the time we made the shift in our lives to give reasons for certain things, to negotiate issues, to disclose principles, to talk it out more to show that we're rational in why we're doing these things. We talked about our values and the meanings of things and the why behind them in our lives. My son recently shared with me, he says, Dad, we have come to share your values, not all your thinking, but your values because of the reasons. And when you don't have the best reasons, we want to do what makes the most sense. I couldn't ask for a better outcome than that because I can be wrong. I can be wrong in my own perspective generationally. My son has a right to come to grips with it in his own time. Today, I seek counsel from my adult sons in certain areas of life, and they do the same for me. My sons are my adult friends. I can say that. As I walk into my house, I see a picture of them that I put on the wall when we went fishing at Savage River when they were children. I miss the children in that picture. I confess to you, I miss the children in that picture. But I wouldn't trade my adult friends to get those children back. I wouldn't trade my adult friends to get them back. I confess that my children are gone, but my friends remain. To the children I say, be easy on your parents. It's not easy being mom and dad, but someone has to do it. 
Moms and dads can make mistakes too, just like you do. But unlike you, a mom and a dad, they are the ones who have to answer for those mistakes while that you are in their charge for the years that you're there. And so they have to be mom and dad. So you need to submit to them. And that's what God is saying. Mom and dad can't be mom and dad and be your friend all the time too. Especially during those tough times when they have to say no for your good. That's their role as mom and dad. But in time, in God's time, they can be and they should be your friend. So you need to honor them so they can get their job done right in you so you can turn out okay for God and them and you. You will like what God has in store for both of you if you obey. Look at Ephesians 6 verse 1. God says, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. That's the fifth commandment. Paul is quoting it. For this is right, he says. Honor your father and mother. He goes on to say, this is the first commandment with a promise. God is not just saying to do something. He's saying that this will matter. That it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That's a tough one. I have provoked my children to anger. I've had to backpedal when I did. He says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Teach your children from God's Word. Give the reasons from God's Word as to why you do something. And do it that way. A church is a family of believers. Am I right? A church is a... What did I just say? A family of believers. Moving through time. And that means there are four generations at every point in time in the church. They're here today. I've learned over the years the value of getting to know people from every generation. When your friends are only the people in your own generation, you show that you have not yet realized the rich and fertile fields that God has for you to grow in the church and to have friends. I have a few older friends who call me from the silent generation, a few from the boomer generation, and a few of them are noticeably older than me. I tend to seek out friends who are older. They all have gray hair. I have gray hair. I'm getting there. How many of you like to get rid of your gray hair? I've thought about dyeing my gray hair. I decided not to do it. Ladies, you can dye your gray hair. I'm all right with that. But me, I'm not going to dye my gray hair. Don't ask my wife if she dyes her gray hair. I'm not going to tell you. Okay? I did, didn't I? <laughs> I think I said, she dyes her gray hair. Whoops. <laughs> but it's beautiful anyway. Diana, please don't fry me for lunch. I messed up. One of my friends calls me every Friday, an older friend. And she calls me to pray for me when I'm working on my sermon. Now, I don't usually accept calls during the time when I'm working on my sermon. But I value her wisdom. I value her stability as a Christian woman of God. I value her perspectives on life, knowing she doesn't have forever to live. She's very old. And that helps me live. When I see this godly woman of age and stature calling to pray for me, it's huge. She's almost 100 years old, but I have come to notice the little girl inside of her waiting for Jesus' return. She is young in many ways and ripe for eternity because her walk with Jesus has brought her full circle like Enoch's life who lived 365 years and he came back to the beginning, the Cirque du Soleil, the cycle of the sun, the days of the year. Enoch means to start over again in Hebrew. You can grow so old, you grow young. Abraham grew young. He had another lifetime. I'm talking to someone with youthful vigor in prayer in the mind, but who is aging in body. It's like the spring when she calls me. Michael W. Smith wrote a profound song I heard for the first time 
when I was at Southern Adventist University, it was Southern College back then, I had some friends of mine who were vocally inclined, and I heard them sing the song, Friends Are Friends Forever. Have you ever heard that song? It really resonated with our generation because we didn't have any friends. And it says, Friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord above. I like the song every time I hear it, and I appreciate it more and more as I grow older. It makes me think and feel after Jesus, who is our best friend. And it makes me yearn for friends in the church. I want to be in a place where I have friends. Dear heart, God made his church on earth for friends. And he sent his dear son Jesus on a mission to make us his friends. And so that we can be friends of each other. The lyrics for the song is profound. Packing up the dreams God planted in the fertile soil of you. Can't believe the hopes he's granted. Means a chapter in your life is through. But we'll keep you close as always. It won't even seem you're gone. Because our hearts in big and small ways will keep the love that keeps us strong. And friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. And a friend will not say never because the welcome will not end. Though it's hard to let you go, in the Father's hands we know that a lifetime's not too long to live as friends. Jesus said, I have called you friends. Dear heart, live for God and live for others as friends. Well, speaking of friends, thanks for being ours here at Reaching Your Heart and listening each week. That will conclude Friends in the New Life. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. Reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website. Reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening. And we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn. 
With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.